Um, now listen, if this is your first Sunday here, uh, welcome. We're super glad that you're here. We're in our third week in the message series titled, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Um, if you're not super familiar with his teachings or the New Testament, Jesus taught some really super uh, hard things. And uh, I think our tendency, even as Christians sometimes, is when we get to those hard teachings, we tend to either want to skip over those things or we want to gloss over those things. But we don't want to do that here at New Life. And so we're actually, we're pressing into these really hard teachings of Jesus, and we're just trusting that he's going to shape us and mold us through them uh, in the coming weeks and months. Now, today we're going to tackle the original hard saying of Jesus. It's the hard saying that actually caused his disciples in John chapter 6 to say, Jesus, dude, this is, this is hard. This is a really hard teaching. Like, who, who can listen to this? Who can, who can follow you? If you're going to teach this, this hard way, who can even follow you? In fact, this teaching that we're going to look at today is so hard that I just, I would confess to you as I was planning out this series, I actually considered not including this teaching in the series just because it's, it, it's so hard, and I think you'll see why as we, as we dig in. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to head over to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 6, that's where we'll park this morning. Um, I believe this is uploaded in your New Life app. And let me just take a second to, to plug that. Uh, we have a brand new app, and so if you don't have it, Maybe you should download it like right now. I was, I was actually kind of playing around with it this week. The new app is awesome. There's so many different things that you can do on it. Now, if you've already downloaded that app, if you have an iPhone, they've already transitioned to the new app for you. If you have an Android, you're going to have to delete the old app and then go to the app store and type in New Life of Asheville. There are like 8 million new lives. So you have to type in New Life of Asheville, and you'll have to reinstall it on your Android, which is why those of us who are Christians have iPhones. We use Mac products. But Jesus loves even all you Android users. But either way, you should have this app on your phone because it helps uh, us stay connected to you. And so I would encourage you to get our app if you don't already have it. Well, let me catch you up really quickly on John chapter 6 before we jump in with both feet. At this point in the text, at this point in the narrative, Jesus is teaching. He's performing miracles. He's attracted quite the following, as you can imagine. In fact, uh, these massive crowds of thousands of people are now following Jesus around. So they're, they're not just like showing up on Sunday for a, for a one-hour service. They're literally like every day, they're following him around to these different cities. He's got this massive, it's like this rock star almost status, these huge crowds. John tells us that one day, the crowds had gathered to hear Jesus, and he had been teaching all day, and it's mealtime. So I don't know if it's dinner time, lunchtime, whatever, but the people have been out there for a long time listening to Jesus, and they're getting hungry. So his disciples go out, they're looking for food to feed this massive crowd, and the only thing they could find was this little boy had a basket of food. So he had like five loaves of bread, had two fish. That's all he had. So Jesus prays over this little basket of food, and he performs this miracle where he feeds the entire crowd from that one little basket of food. And John tells us that there are 5,000 men in this crowd, and so scholars believe that this crowd probably was in excess of 20,000 people. Jesus feeds them all, and his disciples actually go out, and they collect baskets and baskets of leftovers. The crowd is just so dazzled by this miracle that Jesus performed. They're just so amazed that they start saying among themselves, like, hey, guys, we think this is the prophet that we've been waiting for. 
This, this, this guy, we think that he's, he's the Messiah that's come to rescue us. And so they start saying, well, let's, let's take him by force and just make him our king. Let's just go ahead and install him as our king. And so Jesus fed all these guys miraculously, and they, they loved him for it. They loved him for the miracles that he was performing. And so Jesus and his disciples crossed the lake, and that's a whole another long story we don't have time to get into. But they crossed the lake. And the next day, the crowds wake up, and Jesus is gone, right? He's crossed the lake. The, the, uh, the disciples have crossed the lake. And so they find a bunch of boats, and they cross the lake too. They're looking for Jesus. Eventually, they find Jesus. They find his disciples, and Jesus begins to teach them again. And then things get really, really complicated. Because instead of Jesus appeasing the crowds, instead of Jesus doing everything that he could to keep the crowds flowing in, Instead of watering down the message to prevent offending anyone, Jesus inexplicably does the exact opposite. He starts teaching insanely hard things. And he says to these, to these massive crowds of tens of thousands of people, he says to them, look, you love me because I gave you bread, but I can give you bread that will lead to eternal life. And the crowd gets confused by this, right? And so they start asking questions among themselves. And we're going to pick up in the narrative right there, right in the midst of the confusion. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 35. The apostle John records this for us. And he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip down to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, look, I am the bread of life. You love me because I gave you bread. I'm telling you, I'm actually the bread of life. If you come to me, if you believe in me, you will never hunger. You will never thirst again. And I will give you eternal life with me. And John says that the crowd begins to grumble. They, they, they hear this and they, they start to complain among themselves because they want more food. They want more miracles. They didn't come to be challenged by hard teachings of Jesus. They didn't come to be challenged at their core level. They just want the stuff that Jesus is going to give them. And at the end of the day... All they want is the gifts that Jesus is going to give them instead of Jesus himself. And Jesus is saying to them, look, what you really desire, what you really need isn't just another meal. What you really need is not just another miracle. What you need is me. All of your other desires are pointing you to your core desire for fulfillment and belonging. And I am the one thing that can satisfy your heart and your soul forever. And the crowd hears this and the crowd doesn't, they don't like it. So they begin to grumble and they're like, man, this is Jesus. We know who this guy is. We've grown up with this guy. We know who his mom and dad are. We know Joseph and Mary. And now he's telling us that he's the bread of life that's come down from heaven. And they're complaining, they're grumbling about this teaching. And I love Jesus' response. He just looks at the crowd and he straight up tells them to stop grumbling. <laughs> he's, like, he's not trying to appease anybody. He's not trying to build a crowd. He's just like, look, you guys need to zip it. Like, you just need to quit your whining and you need to listen to what I'm trying to, to say to you. 
I just want to pause here for a moment and point out that (laughs) grumbling and complaining are not spiritual gifts. Did you know that? (laughs) Grumbling and complaining are not spiritual gifts. And so if you find in yourself a critical spirit, you you just feel the need to complain about everything in your life that you don't like, or you just want to grumble about everything that you disagree with. And by by the way, I mean, that's something that I struggle with at times in, in my life. And Jesus says to us this morning, zip it. Just just stop it. Stop your whining. His words, not mine. John chapter 6, right there. You can look it up. So don't be a grumbler. Don't be a complainer. And then in verse 48, Jesus repeats the same thing. He says, I am, listen, I am the bread of life. So Jesus doesn't back off because he senses that the crowd is getting uneasy. He repeats the difficult teaching again. Like this is not a great church growth strategy, Jesus. You probably need to like hire a marketing firm to help you out just a little bit. This is not the way to grow a huge mega church. And then he continues in verse 51 and he says, again, this is like the third time now, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is just pressing into this. He isn't relenting when the audience gets uncomfortable because he wants them to understand what he's actually trying to teach them. And then the apostle Paul tells us that the crowd begins to argue among each other. So first they grumble because the teaching is hard. Then they begin to argue among each other and they start asking themselves this question like, hey, here's this guy. He's young. He's 32 years old. He's 33 years old. How is he going to give us his flesh to eat? Now, that's a, pretty, that's a fair question, isn't it? How is this guy going to give us his flesh to eat? They had to be thinking at this point in time, like, like is this a cult? Like, are we, in a, are we in a cult? And we didn't even know it. Are we cannibals now? What, what is going on? What's happening here? And then Jesus ramps up the teaching one more time, and he brings it to a climax, beginning in verse 53. Read along with me. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, he's referring to himself there, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Say what? <laughs> what is he? What is going on here? Now listen, you, you have to understand how offensive this would have been in a Jewish first century culture. I mean, it's offensive enough in our culture. It was really offensive in their culture because Jewish law prohibited the drinking of any blood at all. In fact, you couldn't even eat meat until the meat had been drained completely of all blood. So like no medium rare steaks in first century Jerusalem. It was prohibited, right? These, these people couldn't even eat pigs, much less humans. This would have been shocking to them. This would have been absolutely disgusting and offensive in just about every way imaginable. I mean, you can just picture as Jesus keeps hitting it, right? He just keeps going back and back, and he sees that the crowd is getting more uncomfortable. He doesn't back off. He keeps hammering it home, and it gets more graphic every single time. You can almost picture the sweet little old ladies in the crowd kind of like doing the, the pearl clutch, like, oh, I cannot, I have never in my life, you know? 
You, you just like picture the moms doing the earmuffs to their kids like, oh, we need to get out of here. This man is dangerous, right? In fact, this, this teaching is so controversial that the early opponents of Christianity, they used this teaching of Jesus to accuse Christians of being cannibals. I mean, this was a really troubling teaching, even to his disciples. And that leads us to the question, well, now, was Jesus teaching us to be cannibals? Was he? Some of you seem kind of unsure. Well, I, 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 hope, I hope not, because that would be very disturbing. No, what Jesus was doing is what he so often did. Jesus was painting a physical picture of a spiritual reality. He did that oftentimes. He would paint kind of a physical picture of a spiritual truth. He constantly did this. Jesus taught in parables all the time. Remember the story where he meets the woman at the well and he tells her that he was living water. He wasn't saying I'm literally like a glass of water. <laughs> He's saying you find life in me. There's another place in the gospel where Jesus says I am the door, right? And he says anyone who enters by me will be saved. Jesus wasn't teaching that he was literally like a wooden door. So Jesus taught this way often. He'd use physical realities to drive home spiritual truths, but his audience was taking this literally. Jesus, of course, wasn't teaching cannibalism here. What he was saying is, look, just as you eat bread and it gives you life, it gives your body life, so I will give life to your soul forever. Just as you internalize bread and it satisfies your body for an hour or two, I want you to internalize me. I want you to have a relationship with me and I will satisfy you and I will give you life forever. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us at this point, at this point, the crowd has had enough. They've just heard Jesus come, come back and come back, and he's just driving this home, talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They've had enough, and they just begin to walk away. And at this point, John even records that his disciples come up to him, and his own disciples say to him, Jesus, this is hard. Jesus, this is hard. Who can listen to this? Who can follow you if this is true? Now, put yourself in the disciples' shoes in this moment. What, what, what would you be thinking about right now in this teaching of Jesus? I mean, they had just built this massive crowd of tens of thousands of people. They were seemingly on the verge of this huge revolutionary movement. And I don't know about you, but I think what I would have been thinking, even if I didn't have the courage to say it, I would have been thinking, Jesus, you blew it. <laughs> Man, you just blew it big time. Why did you have to go on and on about this eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood, man? We were about to start the first megachurch of Jerusalem. Man, we could have all built mansions for ourselves. We could have had nice custom-made camel chariots. We could have started like a disciples hot tub fund. And you just threw that all away, man, with your flesh and your blood spill. Man, that was so unnecessary, Jesus. But here's the first big idea. Here's the first big truth that I think we need to press in on this morning, and it's this. Jesus is looking for disciples, not fans. Jesus is looking for disciples. He's not looking for fans. Jesus had thousands of fans. He wasn't impressed. He wasn't interested in the crowds. He didn't care about being a megachurch pastor. He was looking for people who would sell out. He was looking for people who would go all in with him. That was true then, and it's true today. 
Now remember, when Jesus looked at these crowds who were following him because he kept feeding them and doing all these miracles, and he knew that was the only reason they were following him, he looks at them and he basically says, look, you're all fanboys because I fed you. But you don't even realize that even with a belly full of fish and bread, you're starving to death. You're starving to death. I am the bread of life. I am your eternal satisfaction. Come to me. Believe in me. Internalize me and find life forever. You know, most people in this world are bandwagon fans in some way or another. Uh, a lot of you guys know I'm a huge sports fan. I grew up playing sports. Uh, I love sports. I love playing sports. I love watching sports on TV. And in the sports world, I just confess to you that there's nothing that I loathe more than a bandwagon fan. I mean, there's always that one guy, right, who's like a New England Patriots fan in football and a Lakers fan in basketball and a Yankees fan in baseball and like an Alabama football fan in college and a Duke or UNC basketball fan in, in, in ba the basketball world. You know, it's just like he's cherry-picked the best of every sport so that he'll never have to lose, you know? And bandwagon fans are really, they're buffet fans, right? They just, they just choose what they like and they just leave out what they don't like. And there are spiritual bandwagon fans as well. And when spiritual bandwagon fans think that Jesus can do something for them, they're all in. But then when things get hard, when the teachings get difficult, they're out. They'll just switch teams. They'll just switch allegiances. And here's, just to be completely honest with you, here's my fear right now for the American church. And I'm not talking about new life specifically. I'm talking about the American church in general. I'm afraid that so many of our churches are full of more fans than disciples. Churches are full of fans and far too few disciples. You see, when, 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 fan, when fans, walk away, fans walk away when things get hard, they walk away when Jesus isn't doing what they think that he should do. They walk away when he starts teaching offensive truths that challenge what they value in life. But that's not what disciples do. See, after the huge crowd of thousands of people had walked away and they just said, man, this is too hard. Jesus is not giving us enough bread. He's not performing enough miracles anymore. And these teachings are hard. We're out. We're done with him. We're, we're out. Jesus looks at his 12. He looks at his 12 disciples and he just asks them, does this offend you too? Does this offend you? Do you want to walk away as well? Do you, do you want to leave me now too? And Peter, who's like the, the loud mouth of the group, he's kind of like the spokesman of the group. He speaks up. And I want you to listen to the response of Peter and the disciples in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, when things get hard, fans turn and walk away. But when things get hard, disciples cling to Jesus. Even when it's hard, even when they don't fully comprehend or understand, and certainly his disciples didn't fully comprehend what was going on here. And yet they knew Jesus, they knew he was good, and so they chose to cling to him and trust him even when things got hard and it wasn't popular to follow him anymore. And that leads right into our second truth this morning, and it's this. Jesus wants you to trust him 
even when it's hard. Especially when it's hard. Friend, listen to me. Jesus is going to say things to you in his word. He's going to ask you to do things in your life that are hard that are really hard, and unless you know him and love him, you're going to be the crowd in this story. You're going to turn your back, and you're going to walk away. And Maybe that's where you're at here this morning. For some of you, maybe you're walking through some, some really hard stuff, some really difficult things that don't, they just don't make sense to you, and it seems confusing to you. And I think Jesus wants you to know this morning that he hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you, but he does want you to trust him, especially in the hard things of life. I can tell you in my own personal journey, and I don't like that this is true, but I know this to be true about myself. It is primarily in the hard times, in the confusing times, that God grows me the most. I don't like it. I hate that about myself, but I just know that that's true. And it's in those times, it's, it's in those times where we're struggling and things just don't seem to make sense. It's in those times where darkness is just kind of like pressing in that so often God shows up in my life and he does something in my heart that changes me. Now look, if you're here this morning, you have to decide. You have a choice to make. Are you the crowd in this story? Are you going to walk away when there's no more bread? You're going to walk away when things get really hard, or are you going to be the disciples in this story and say, Jesus, where would we go? Where would we go? You have the words of life. We've believed you. We've trusted you. We've left everything to follow you. We know that you're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? We're all in with you, good or bad. It's you until the day that we die. Jesus wants you to trust him even when it's hard, and here's why. Because it's when everything else in our life, when all of our comfort and the idols that we cling to, when everything like that is stripped away, he teaches us in those moments that he is enough for us. He teaches us in those moments that he is enough. It's when things are really hard, it's when things are really dark that he lovingly teaches us that he is our highest treasure and that it's in him and in him alone that we have everything that we need. He is the bread of life. He is hope, he's peace, he's joy, he's our satisfaction. Where else would we go? And that leads us to our third kind of take-home truth this morning in this difficult teaching of Jesus is this. Jesus is offensive because truth challenges our hidden idols. Listen, Jesus was offensive in the first century, and he's offensive in the 21st century. It's equally opportunity offender. Right? Because Jesus, Jesus came to proclaim truth in life. He didn't come to, to make us comfortable with the lies that we believed about ourselves. He didn't come to affirm that we're just good people that don't really need him. He came to tell us we're not okay, but that he loves us so much that he would die to make us okay. 
He came to tell us that we're starving to death, even if we don't realize it yet, and that he came as the bread of life to satisfy our souls forever. Now, I think most of us would say, like if I were to take an opinion poll this morning, I think most of us would say that we like truth. Like, I don't think anybody would be here like, man, I hate truth. (laughs) Don't give me the truth. I think most people say, well, I like truth and I pursue truth. But I think the reality for most of us is we don't really like truth. Because we don't like being told that we're wrong. We don't like when somebody tells us that we're not okay. We don't like it when somebody tells us that we're so, we are so rotten to the core that we need a Savior to save us from ourselves. The truth challenges us. And most people, listen, friend, most people can't handle the truth. Most people don't want the truth. There's this famous scene in the movie uh, A Few Good Men. You guys remember that movie, A Few Good Men? Right? And Tom Cruise, is this, he's this military lawyer and he's grilling Jack Nicholson on the stand. And there's this incredible scene. And, and Tom Cruise looks at Jack and he screams, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson screams back what? You can't handle the truth. It's just like this incredible scene where these two guys are so passionate and they're going at it. And I think that's where so many of us are at this morning in our own lives. We like to think that we like truth. We like to think that we pursue truth. But a lot of us are like the crowds that walked away. We can't handle the truth. And listen to me. Here's the danger because Jesus can be offensive at times. Here's the danger. If we're not careful, we can begin to craft a Jesus in our mind that looks and sounds more like us than he does the Jesus of the Bible. Listen to me. If your Jesus never challenges you, if your Jesus never offends you, if your Jesus never disagrees with you, I would lovingly submit to you this morning that you're following a Jesus that you've created in your own mind. A figment of your imagination, Jesus, instead of the real Jesus. And that should be a frightening thought to every last one of us this morning. Because Jesus can be offensive, and he's offensive because the truth is offensive, but he tells us the truth because he loves us. Here's the last thing that I just kind of want to press into this morning. We'll begin to to land the plane, and then we'll celebrate uh, what Christ has done for us on the cross. The crowds loved Jesus because of what he could give them. They loved his gifts more than they actually loved him. And in loving stuff more than the giver of the stuff, they missed out on this truth that absolutely would have revolutionized their lives. And the truth is this, and this is our last truth. Jesus is the treasure. He's not just the giver of treasure. Jesus is the treasure. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. We come to Jesus to get more of Jesus, not what he can give us. We don't come to Jesus to get get what he can do for us. Yes, Jesus can heal our marriage. Yes, Jesus can make us happier people. Yes, Jesus can give us peace in our lives. Thank God he does all of those things. But the real treasure is Jesus himself. See, I'm a father of of three children, and and my three children are the apple of my eye. I love my children ferociously. 
There's nothing that I wouldn't do for them. But I can just imagine how painful it would be if the day ever came where they begin to love my gifts more than me. If the day ever came where they begin to love what I could provide them instead of loving me for who I am. It would be a crushing, devastating feeling to know that my kids loved me and loved my things in that way. And yet I think there are a lot of people that do exactly that with Jesus. They're fans, not disciples. And as long as Jesus keeps their belly full of bread, and as long as he's doing everything that they think he should be doing in their lives, they're in. But as soon as things get hard, they're out. Because they don't realize that the treasure isn't the stuff that Jesus can give us. The real treasure is Jesus himself. He is the bread of life. He is our satisfaction. He's life, he's love, he's peace, he's everything that our hearts desire. He is the ultimate treasure. And for the crowds, these massive crowds that were following Jesus around from city to city, this teaching would have been a come-to-Jesus moment. You know what a come-to-Jesus moment is? It's a moment where you just have this moment of enlightenment. You have this epiphany. It's in those moments that we come to a crossroads in our lives. I can remember when Cheryl and I first got married, we uh, went to our honeymoon in the Florida Keys. And so we flew down to Miami, and we got on the smallest plane that I've ever been on in my life to fly from Miami to the Keys. There were like eight people on the plane. And, uh, man, we got up there, and we were flying. And I've experienced turbulence before, but never turbulence like this. I mean, we were dropping hundreds of feet and going all over the place. And I thought for sure I was about to die. And I thought, my gosh, I'm 23 years old. I just got married. I'm getting ready to go on my honeymoon. And I'm going to die in this little tiny plane. And it was a, this come to Jesus moment. I've never been so scared that I forced myself to go to sleep until that flight. Uh, maybe I just passed out. I thought I, I went to sleep. But I was really scared. I just had this come to Jesus moment. I was thinking, God, if you just let me get there, I'll like, be a, a missionary in Africa. I'll never say another cuss word in my mind even. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just had like this come to Jesus moment, right? And when we come to those come to Jesus moments, we can either like the crowd, we can choose to walk away because it's too hard, or we like the disciples can find that our highest treasure in this world and in our lives is Jesus. As we close uh, this morning, I just want to say, if you're, if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, this morning is a come to Jesus moment for you. This morning is a come to Jesus moment. You have a choice to make. Are you going to walk away like the crowds? Say, this is too hard. You're not giving me enough bread. You're not giving me enough miracles, and so I'm done. Is that what you're going to say? Or with Peter and the disciples, are you going to say, Jesus, where else would I go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. We know that you're the Holy One from God. We're in it to the end, and good or bad with you. If you're not a Christian, you have a choice to make. This is your come to Jesus moment. You're going to be the crowd or you're going to be the disciples. Others of you may be here and you're already Christians. You're believers. You've been following Christ maybe for years, maybe for decades, but you've been feeding your soul something other than Jesus and you keep ending up hungry. 
You keep thinking, man, if I could just find the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend or once I get married or once I have kids, once I get that promotion at work and have more money, once I retire, once I buy a house, whatever it is, you fill in the blank and you think, then and only then will I be happy. And we keep pouring this stuff into our souls and Jesus is saying to us this morning, beloved, stop. Stop. I am the bread of life. Feast on me. Find your life in me. I am the treasure that your heart seeks. And the decision that we all have to make today, whether you're here as a Christian or a non-Christian, the decision that we all have to make is whether we will leave this room today as a fan of Jesus or as a disciple of Jesus. Will you believe in him? Will you trust in him? Will you internalize him in your heart? Begin to treasure him in your life above everything else in this world. I want to invite the ushers to come and get the tables prepared as we prepare our own hearts to celebrate the crushed body of Jesus, his blood poured out for us. I want us to have a moment of silent prayer as we get our hearts ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you're new here, this is a time of confession. We just pray silently right where we are and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, to reveal anything that's not pleasing to him in our lives and deal with those issues. This would be a great time to ask God to help you to move from being a fan to being a disciple. This would be a great time to ask God to help you treasure Jesus in your life above everything else in your life. So let's bow our heads and just pray, do business with God for a minute, and then we'll come and celebrate.